Today on Stick to Football, we get Chris Fowler, the man that you hear and see on your TVs every Saturday night. I think the best announcer in the game. Mello and I get to talk to Chris. We're going to give you our quickie college football and NFL picks and, of course, a special draft on draft today. I don't want to give it away, but it's going to be interesting. Yeah, just stay tuned. It'll be right here in about 45 minutes. There you go. It's going to be fun. I can't wait. Uh, as always, we're going to go through our pick sixes of the week, college and NFL. The guys got to talk to Chris Fowler, as you heard earlier. And I'm going to let uh, good old Matty Mills over here kick it off with some news and notes around the league in college football. Yeah, we're trying to like, I think I'm finally embracing that nickname, by the way. It's I've about noticed time. this. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Just let it go. Yeah, it's just, it's time. And like at first it was like, I'll just make fun of it. And now it's like, you know, whatever. Like, I've I've always liked it. It's kind of weird that you came up with your own nickname, but I guess when you're drunk on a golf cart in Baton Rouge, you can do that. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. Probably one of the best days of my life. So uh, I'm not even going to fight it. Uh, okay. Let's get into some news and notes. I think the biggest thing happening, uh, actually, number one, happy October. This is the best month of the year. You can hear I'm a little bit happier today as we sit here Thursday morning, October 1st. This is the best month. Um, also, Mello, before we get going, Connor, I haven't told you this. So obviously Chiefs, Patriot, or Chiefs, whomever the hell they played. Uh, Ravens. Ravens, Monday night. Game ends, right? Probably seven minutes after the game ends. I'm not exaggerating. I get a text from Patrick Mahomes. And he says, tell your boy Mello to never disrespect us again. And I expect a full apology. And then he said, I understand you and Connor picking against us, but not Mello. So, Mello, I want <laughs> to give fair. you the floor to officially apologize to I, Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, I, I sent a message like, I'm sorry that I doubted you. Uh, I apologize. Keep kicking 2020's ass, which apparently he's still doing. Uh, it, it's tough, though. You have to sit in the chair and you have to be unbiased and say who you think is going to win while at the same time being a fan. So if I sit here and I'm like, oh, man, the Chiefs are great. They're going to win every game. The fans come at me and the listeners like, oh, well, this guy just a fucking Chiefs homer. But yeah, now I do think they're probably going to win every game. So they're probably going undefeated this year. Uh, I'm sorry that I doubted Patrick Mahomes ever. I'm sorry that I called him Pat Mahomes for like two years. Uh, but it is what it is. I like to think that I was part of the bulletin board material that went up in the Chiefs locker room that helped him get over the hump and beat those dirty Ravens. Uh, so to Chiefs kingdom, you're welcome. And to the Chiefs players, I am sorry. It, it kind of felt like Andy Patrick had a little bit of extra juice in this game, right? You saw the right. whole playbook dumped out on Monday Night Football. Pat was obviously making throws, as we've seen him do in the past, but this felt like the first game of the season where you remember why the guy might be the most special quarterback on planet Earth ever. You know, Honestly, we're going to get to that conversation at some point in our lives. And listen, I, I love that Ravens team. But uh, it's a tough night for them, right? It's a it tough was. night for them. And like it, No defense on planet Earth could slow down the Chiefs that And I night. know people are like, why are you talking about a game that happened Monday night? Well, we haven't talked to you guys since, uh, since Monday morning when we recorded. So it's like, uh, we're not going to break down that game, but I've never seen the Chiefs look better, and that should be terrifying for everyone else because, uh, yeah, it was scary. And the Ravens team is good. Uh, Marlon Humphrey, uh, as we're sitting here this morning, just got almost $100 million in a contract. Like That's how good this team is, especially on defense. But guys, some sadness news in the world of sports Titans Steelers canceled for this weekend Titans players they had multiple positive COVID tests among players and staff the Vikings the team they played last week I, I guess sh I'm shocked the Vikings have no positive test their game is expected to go on as of now but Titans Steelers will be canceled 
this game will be made up at a later date. So both teams effectively get a bye week this week and week four. I have a couple questions about this, and I'm not trying to like be critical. I think the NFL has done a good job so far, and I think they they do care about player safety and staff safety. But why did we expand practice squads if you're canceling a game over four to five tests? Is it that you're worried that the rest of the roster might be uh, infected and just be in their incubation period so that we don't know yet? Like, but why are why are practice squads bigger? Why are people like Josh McCown remotely on a practice squad if four or five players, and I don't know, I'm throwing that number out of my ass, but like when four or five players get COVID, I thought the deal was you just put them on short-term IR, which they changed for the year as well, and call some people up. I don't understand. Yeah, I, I think that they had a plan of like, oh, this is what we're going to do with expanding the practice squad. But then when you start to see these players test you start to realize like, oh, it's going to be really tough to put them out there. Uh, and you don't know, like you're, we're still seeing tests pop up that are positive this morning. So it's like, how many are we going to have tomorrow? How many are we going to have Sunday? I, and I think that's why they keep pushing it down. And we heard, you know, maybe we play this game on Tuesday night, but with players and coaches still coming out and testing positive, thank God no one for the Vikings has yet. But I think that's the reason why they're looking at this saying, you know what, better idea to just push this thing down the road. Really, it really sucks for the Steelers though. This is a team that's been preparing all week. It's Thursday morning when we're recording. Uh, They've been practicing. They've been getting ready for the Titans. And now it's just like, oh, actually, this is your bye week. Enjoy. Uh, You're going to have to play during your bye week now. So uh, a pretty shitty situation for the Steelers, who I think are one of the better teams in the AFC. Now their bye week kind of cut short, or at least cut in half. Uh, but I, I think that's the thought process behind the NFL and what they're doing. Yeah, you, it, they're just trying to be extra careful, right? You don't want this to turn, turn into an outbreak. We saw with the Marlins, uh, notably, but multiple teams, but most notably the Marlins, how this just took over the whole team in, in a matter of days, and it, it really set the baseball season out of whack. Now, with the baseball season, there's more scheduled days off, even in the 60-game sprint, where you know they were able to make it work. With football... This was always my question over the summer, over and over again, and there was never an answer. It it was bizarre to me to not build in multiple bye weeks this year or some kind of pad on the end of the schedule or or even the beginning of the year where you give yourself enough room, right? This is football. You can't play double headers. You can't play two games in one weekend. And they really are setting themselves up where, God forbid, this happens to one of these teams again then what do we do, guys? And I'm not trying to say doom and gloom and and prepare for the worst, but how could you not prepare for the worst right now? So it's awful to see it canceled. I think it's good that they're being extra cautious in this scenario, but I think the full season long-term plan is a house of cards at this point where you know now everybody's going to be really tiptoeing, wondering when the next domino falls. It really is. And so my second point that I was going to get to is I don't know why the NFL didn't schedule in like, give yourself more time. And I know there's flexibility as far as the Super Bowl goes, but like, man, like they should have built in like almost like two buys, almost like a sliding schedule. Exactly. That's exactly Every it. team gets two bye weeks. And then if this happens, it's okay. And again, like, so I don't understand necessarily the, oh, we'll expand practice squads in case this happens. Okay. Well, it happened. Nope. We're canceling the game. Like, I, I don't get it. And I'm not trying to be doom and gloom either. I think the NFL's done a wonderful job. I, I just, like, I think it's okay to have some questions about you put these procedures in place in case this happens. 
it happened, you're not going to those procedures. So uh, if, if you play fantasy football, uh, no Titans or Steelers. I saw one of our listeners had like Ben Roethlisberger, James Conner, and Juju Smith-Schuster on the same team. Oof, sorry. And Friday morning when you're listening to this, going to be tough to have to rearrange that roster on the fly. Yeah, so now they have to... I'm lo- I'm like trying to read into this. They have to rearrange other schedules because it's not like the bye week's perfectly right. to line up, yeah. right? And so I've been waiting yeah, to see confusing. what they announce. Uh, what's that little guy's name? Brian, a little NFL PR guy. I keep saying little. He's short. He's not young. He's just kind of from short. what I heard. They were going to move the Steelers Ravens game to Week Eight. Man, this sucks. And then, this is a mess. Yeah, like, <laughs> Steelers have no positive test. Uh-huh. Like they're Houston right now. The, yeah. the Cougs, who's like, we're healthy. We want to play someone, right? Can and we get a wants game to in? play. Yeah, it's gonna. I'll be tell tough. you what. This is. I hate that I even have to pivot to this because I care more about everyone's safety in actual football. But I'm just saying right now, can you imagine the outcry that the fantasy community is going to have about this? You had to know about this going into the year. Yeah. You had to know. But I'm telling you, there's going to be a ridiculous, uh, totally <laughs> ignorant outcry right now yes. from the fantasy community. Just irrational, pissed off people talking about their fantasy teams. And that's not fair. Yeah, there's a lot of money riding on a lot of these leagues. Like, I get it. And if you're playing like DraftKings or whatever, you're putting a lot of money out there. Well, hopefully you don't bet until like Saturday. Yeah, you I know? Don't think like, so. Wait for that final injury report. We'll avoid. Yeah, at least Fanduel's been really good about that. Even the overtime game, like it just voids, and it's like, okay, you get your money back, whatever. Yeah, but, man. I mean, is. yeah, it's tough. It is. It absolutely is. Uh, let's move on. Good news: Rashad Bateman's back. I have the same jokes when someone's back. Jordan, Texas. That's all I got. I really need to work on new material. <laughs> but Rashad Bateman is back. This is a formality. Like we knew as soon as the Big Ten announced they were playing, he was, I believe, the first. It was like, hey, PJ Fleck, get me back, and he had. Uh, hired an agent. Apparently, he hadn't signed with him, so he was able to get out of that. But it's good that Rashad Bateman's back. I think this changes a lot of fortunes for Minnesota. It changes a lot of things for Tanner Morgan, their quarterback. But this is very, very good news for the Gophers, who, like, they are a very fun team to watch. Obviously, we had our disagreements last year about Tyler Johnson, but I love Rashad Bateman. I do believe he's a first-round caliber wide receiver. And another year of film is only going to help him kind of plead his case. Yeah, I think he's a guy who can blow up this year. Obviously, Tanner Morgan coming back, too, at quarterback. I think that Minnesota's going to win their part of the Big Ten. I think they're going to be playing Ohio State on championship week, and it's probably not going to go well for them because Ohio State is a juggernaut right now. But having Rashad Bateman back is huge. I loved watching this guy play last year. And I, you know, one of our guys, Thor, was even tweeting out, like, oh, these are all of Rashad Bateman's highlights. It really sucks. We're not going to see any of this play this year, but now we are, and I'm really excited about it. I do think that he can be a first-round receiver. I want to see what that speed looks like. Uh, his freshman and sophomore year, he didn't look like the fastest guy, but he's a guy who plays a lot bigger than he is, and he's still pretty big, 6'2", 210. Uh, very excited that he's back and playing for the Gophers. Me too. I mean, listen, this was somebody that all summer, especially during the opt-out, you know, you turn on the tape and you go, man, he does everything really, really well. The only question we have, and it's simply a question, it's not a knock, is how is that long speed? But in terms of catching the ball in traffic, winning at the catch point, tracking, uh, he's a very strong player after the catch. You know, he might not be an elusive shake shake kind of guy, but man, he can run through you. 
And in the red zone, he's a monster. Uh, great releases at the line of scrimmage. Now Bateman just gets to go and remind everybody what makes him so special. Because obviously, you know, no Jamar Chase, but Jalen Waddle got a lot of publicity after this weekend. I think Bateman's the kind of guy that plays with an edge and, and wants to get that get that love, honestly, this draft season. And like you're high-end for him, and a lot of people are going to say it, it's like... Kind of looks like Michael Thomas. And like, yeah, you're right. He kind of does. I don't know that the catch rate is there. I, I remember charting Michael Thomas uh, when he came out. I think he dropped five passes in college, if I remember that number off the top of my head. Like, it was a crazy low amount. And we've seen that translate to the NFL. So I think a lot of people are going to look at Bateman and be like, on his best day, like the high end of what he could be, he's not like Michael Thomas. Now, I'm not saying he's that's he's not going to catch 149 passes in his third year in the NFL or whatever, but you definitely see the body type uh, commonalities there I do think and the man I want you to run breaking routes and that's who I have him comp to and my kind of thing with like comps that's the play style and the body type he reminds me a lot of Michael Thomas and then kind of where I have them at on the big board is where you're going to find out how much I like a player and he's a little bit low I'm not talking about him as a Michael Thomas type player but when I watch these two guys play it's like okay this is the NFL player he reminds me of production it's so it, it it matters where you go. Scheme fit is everything in the NFL. Just like Clyde Edwards-Alaire. I had him as like running back three. He gets drafted by the Chiefs. That's a perfect landing spot for him. So he moves up. I cheated. I moved him up afterwards. But with you know Rashad Bateman, he plays a lot like Michael Thomas. And that's why I have him comp to Michael Thomas. Yeah, I, I had him comp to Keenan Allen. And you look at both those players, good route runners, really strong at the catch point and body type, something that... Uh, you know, me and you, Mello, have really, really uh, harped on this summer. So excited to watch him play. Do think he could be a first-round pick? It's tough to do it, wide receiver. But I love that you bring up the scheme fit because Michael Thomas is like the opposite example, right? He really didn't get uh, the type of targets and quarterback play in college that illuminated his skill set. And then he gets to the NFL, and it's the exact opposite. He goes to the perfect place. So it, it matters more than anything. Uh, guys, I don't know if you realize this because no one will be able to watch the game. Trey Lance and Dylan Raddins play what will likely be their only game of 2020, but you can't watch it. And I had a scout text me yesterday and he was like, hey, uh, this game's pretty close to Mello and I at Central Arkansas. He's like, you're going to go. I was like, man, I heard they're not letting anyone go. Like, what do you mean am I going to go? I, no, not like you have fun if you can actually get in the stadium. We are looking at a scenario where one of the best quarterbacks in the 2021 class, should he declare, and one of the best left tackles in the 2021 draft class are going to play a game and we won't see it. And I know Jim Nagy was tweeting about this. Like, this is a travesty that like someone like, come on, OU played Missouri State. You could pay 60 bucks and watch it. Like, how has someone not North Dakota State, beautiful campus? I think they could use the money. How have we not figured out a way to stream this game, even if we have to pay for it? Yeah, and that's my thinking. How is there no one there that's putting this thing on pay-per-view? I realize you're not going to put North Dakota State versus Central Arkansas on ABC or you know the big networks, but you should be able to stream it and find it later. Put it on YouTube TV or something. But uh, it, it's a game I definitely wanted to go back and watch. It probably wouldn't be like priority on my TV, but it's a game that I would be checking in on and saying, like, what's he doing? Let me check the stat line. Let me... Catch a, a couple glimpses of what he's able to do, and Dylan Raddins as well, because that's a guy I have not been able to watch uh, very much yet. I've, I've seen a couple snaps. You try to watch him, at least I have on some of the tape that you have of Trey Lance, but that's a guy that a lot of people, I think our guy Jim Nagy has him tackle one mm -hmm. over Penny Sewell. Yeah, wow. I, I'm definitely not in that boat yet, but it makes you wonder what 
Raiders is going to be able to do and not going to be able to watch him on Saturday really sucks. Yeah, I I agree. I think what's good for Raiders is he's going to have that senior bowl week to get back on the radar. Now, obviously, you'd rather have a season full of tape instead of a week full of practice. But, you know, for Raiders, he's a guy that can go to the senior bowl. And and I think Jason Spriggs was, you know, in a similar. I always say, like, you know, they have some similarities in their game. I think Raiden's is a much better prospect than Spriggs was, but he can go to the senior bowl and, and show that he has the uh, the play strength to hang with those guys. With Trey Lance, I mean, guys, there's going to be 26 scouts there per NFL.com, I believe it was, or Yahoo Sports, apologies. Now, the question is, like, sure, it's nice that 26 scouts are going, but how do you not stream? Like, I, I don't know how it would work because, you know, it's, the way the game is set up, the the rights to it, but the school can't put a camera on this game, yeah. right? Like, and and st- even if they want to just stream it for their social, or you charge ten bucks to watch the stream, I'm telling you right now, you know damn well everybody would be all about that because this is the one opportunity you get to watch this guy. He's not going to be at All Star games. I mean, I'm at the point where if he doesn't come out and die, and it's I'm not putting all my eggs into this basket of one game, but there definitely will be people that do. If he doesn't come out and have a dominant performance like we saw last year, is he going to consider going back to school because he didn't have a season? I don't know. It's just this is the most bizarre quarterback scouting process since Cardale Jones in my eyes. Now, yeah. I think there's more on Trey Lance where I like him a lot better and have less questions, but it's it's in that bizarre realm of you know risk and limited tape. It's almost it's weird because like you want this game, but you also need to like just not pay attention to this game. You know, because like I'd it, almost rather not have it. Right. Because yeah, one game I think is worse than none because it's like people are going to overanalyze it. And we say people, and like that might even be there might be NFL general managers who are like, Man, I thought this kid was supposed to be good. Like, say he has a bad game. Say so he throws like two interceptions. Right? Something he didn't do all of last year. He didn't throw two all of last year. But if he has a bad game, I do think people will overreact to it. So it's unfortunate that there will be that hyper awareness of it. I'm going to look at it. It's just like hey, when that film drops to be like, OK, like, let's just watch it and see. Did anything change from last year? That's what I want to see. Is anything different mechanically? Does the body type look different? Does the arm strength look different? Because like you're not picking up a whole lot. One game against Central Arkansas. What my man's doing reading defense. No, it's just you're adding another game. To your tape. That, that's pretty much it. Don't overreact to what you see on Saturday. Even if he comes out and lights him up and throws like six touchdowns. Okay, well, we knew who he was. It's another game to watch mechanics and everything that you need to as a quarterback. Mello, before we get to Chris Fowler, it's time for something you like to call blind review. The blind review we record on Thursday mornings, which means this show comes out on Friday. We don't get to see the games. That doesn't stop me from breaking them down. And, fellas, we had another exceptional quarterback battle last night. We saw Brett Rippon in the Broncos taking on Sam Darnold in the Jets. That's right. Sammy! Sammy in the Jets! <laughs> The Wild Stallions were in perfect harmony, and with death at their side, Sam Darnold was once again seen ghost. The young stable of receivers were off to the races, and Brett Rocket Man Rippin was ripping the ball down the field. But the Jets find a way to fight back and held this game closer than a tiny dancer, leaving the loyal Jet fans shouting, Don't go breaking my heart as they needed a loss to ensure that Adam Gase goes away. But thank God the Broncos came out of halftime raring to go and grounded the Jets' offense. After two third-quarter touchdowns, the Broncos ran away with a 31-17 lead, letting everyone know they may be 1-3, but they're still standing. Vic Fangio finds a way to have success through the turbulence, 
but it's Adam Gase who's leaving on a jet plane, and I don't mean the team plane. Adam Gase finally getting fired. I guess that's just the circle of life. So to Connor and all our Jets fans, I say Hakuna Matata. What a wonderful phrase. Hakuna Matata. It means no worries for the rest of your days. Congratulations, Jet fans. Adam Gase is gone. You're an 0-4 position. Great spot to be in. Bella, can I ask why the Elton John theme? <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> I, I say it. this is so random. <laughs> it's great. It's like, is it like a John Elway kind of sounds like Elton John? Like Benny and the Jets, and then you just go down a rabbit hole of Elton yes. John? Okay. <laughs> Well, I hope for Connor's sake that Adam Gase is fired <laughs> when we wake up. I hope they tarmac his ass like Lane Kiffin. And, and if they do, Jets fans, uh, go to my uh, Bleach Report profile because I wrote an article on all the coaches they should look at. We're on the road to Trevor Lawrence, boys. The road to Trevor Lawrence. That's all I got. Yeah, there we go. All right, let's get to Chris Fowler. We come back with pick sixes and then your draft on draft. Hey, Chris, thanks for joining us today. My pleasure. All right, bud. We'll get right to it. We know you're busy. Everyone's Saturdays have been a little weird with college football already. Um, probably none more so than you, you know, doing the show uh, at like week zero. You guys are remote. Now you're spread all over the place with Corso, like having people barbecue in his backyard. Uh, Saturdays have been weird, but you are partnering with one of my favorite brands, Dos Equis, to save our Saturdays. Uh, we tell our listeners a little bit about what you guys are doing. Yeah, I mean, the idea is you can still have fun on Saturdays, even if you can't tailgate outside the stadium. I mean, we've had that tradition disrupted. It's such a part of the sport, uh, the, the social fabric, the celebration. But the second idea is you can still tailgate you know, anything, anytime. And the ingredients can still be there. You can still tailgate or watch the game on TV, right? It's not quite the same, but why punt on fun? So if you, if you text SOS for Save Our Saturdays, the seven seven triple zero. There's a contest. You can win all kinds of stuff. It's a, a six foot or six foot long cooler. All, all kinds of things. And let, let's not forget that you can still you know, have fun. You just have to get creative and adapt, which is what 2020 is all about. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. Chris, take us through like your normal Saturday. Uh, I know you're not on game day anymore. You haven't been for a while, but how do you keep track of the games that are going on while trying to pair for your Saturday night gig as well? Yeah, I mean, it's fun. I, I, I miss certain parts of the show. I did it for 25 years. I don't miss the wake-up call. I can have a Friday night in a college town, like a proper Friday night, and not have to worry about you know, getting up at oh dark 30. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's a time to kind of sit back and, and take in the, the games nationally. You know, you're focused on your prep. you got your board in front of you. You're diving in deep to two teams, which is a totally different thing that I did for game day for years, which is a very broad kind of preparation, but not as deep as we go when you do a game, right? So you're, you're getting ready for your game, but you're keeping an eye on what's going on around the country, especially this year, because you're curious to see what's happening. You, you want to see the first glimpse of these teams. You want to see what it feels like without a big crowd at Jordan-Hare Stadium or, or in Norman. And so I was watching what, with amazement last Saturday because I expected surprises. I expected upsets. But, man, what we got, the wild swings of momentum, the results you didn't see coming, buckle up. I think it's going to be like that pretty much every Saturday. So yeah, it's, it's for me, it's like, it's can't miss TV. And I'm just glad we have games to talk about and watch. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to, I want to go there because I mean, like we all know you as like college football. That's what you do. It's you and Herbie on Saturday nights. It's appointment viewing. Like, you know where you're going to be watching that game, but you're not just a football guy. So I want to know what's the biggest game or match you've ever called? Because like I said, I mean, you're one of the most versatile broadcasters in sports right now. So when you think of big games, is it college football? Well, college football and tennis. 
I'm not sure how many tennis fans there are out there, but you should be you should be respectful of tennis. You should try it. It's a great sport. Those are my two favorite sports. And so Wimbledon final to me, U.S. Open final, honestly means as much as calling a Rose Bowl or a championship game. I mean, the Wimbledon final is the world's biggest tennis match, right? And so there's so much tradition that goes along with it. I grew up watching those matches like I grew up watching football games. So for me, it's hard to pick between the two. And the fact that ESPN has the championship events in both my two favorite sports and I get to call them. I mean, you don't think I'm grateful about that. There's so many big tennis matches we've called. Uh, and then obviously they're really memorable playoff games. The, the Rose Bowls, I've gotten a chance to call. That's just a, that's just a privilege, man. You get Oklahoma, Georgia playoff game, unconventional Rose Bowl. It goes to overtime. I'll never forget that. USC and Penn State played a wild Rose Bowl game the year before that, which was just super entertaining. You know, Saquon and Juju just went up and down the field. And I think that, you know, it's hard to pick just one, but I'm, I'm so grateful that we get, we get to do the biggest events of my two favorite sports. I mean, what's better than that? You know, Chris, right here, me and Matt are both Texas Longhorn fans. And sometimes we get a little criticism because our podcast comes off as uh, leaning a little bit in the favor of the Texas Longhorns. Is there a team like a college football team that you have that you root for? Uh, I'm sure loving college football the way you do, you have to have a team, but maybe uh, a lot of people don't know about it. You know, my alma mater is Colorado. So listen, I went to school there a long time ago. They were one of the worst programs in America when I was there. I mean, I did stats for a team that was like one in 10 and they, they won seven games total my last three years as a student. You suffer like that. You give up your, your social Saturdays to, to be a stats geek. Um, I mean, I, when they got really good, they won a championship, a co-championship in 90. I got a chance to cover that in the orange bowl. And then I, I, you know, obviously they've had their ups and downs. I get a little emotionally invested. I don't call many Colorado games. So I'm allowed to be a fan, but you know, otherwise, Honestly, when you're doing the job, you can't indulge in that. There might be a coach you like more than the other one. There might be a story you root for more than someone else. That's human nature. It's, it's like that for all of us. But honestly, when you, you put on the headsets and you call the game, you can't get involved in that. You have to call it like you see it. You feel like you're documenting an event. I have total respect for the event that I'm documenting. And it would be wrong for me to let any bias kind of come in there. And you learn to sort of get the bias out of your system so you don't have to try to fake it. I, re I really don't care who wins when I show up at the stadium. And that, that kind of frees you up to just call the game honestly. No, that's that's definitely respectable. And it definitely comes through. Uh, I would have never known Colorado was your team. So that's it's working for you. Why don't we don't call a lot of Colorado right. games? And you're rubbing <laughs> in the fact that they're not really on the game very often. Uh, I, I did get to call one Thursday night game with the Buffs beating West Virginia in overtime. That was fun for me. They came really close to getting in the Rose Bowl, you know, a couple of years ago. And that would have been fun. But, you know, hey, you, you call the game in front of you and you have a great time doing it. And I watch the Buffs on TV. So. And when I think of Colorado, I think of the Chris Sims interception game, you know, that like probably ended his Heisman candidacy and killed his draft stock. That's a uh, good memory for Buffs fans. That's right. a good memory for Buffs fans. They weren't supposed to win that game. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, you weren't. But but that's how college football goes. <laughs> Uh, so it's been a few years uh, since you've been off college game day, but I think that's where a lot of folks kind of got their introduction to you, especially, you know, a little bit of a younger generation. I know you don't miss the wake-up calls, but what do you miss most about those Saturdays with such an excellent crew and for what's been for a long time one of the, the greatest shows on television? Yeah, thanks. I, I was just proud of being able to build something really from scratch. In 1990, the show was in the studio. 
the half hour long. Nobody watched it. Um, ESPN wasn't sure they wanted to continue with it. But to go from there to being sort of a part of the fabric of the sport and then get the thing on the road and, and be able to bring the show to fans and make them a part of the a backdrop is a once in a career kind of opportunity. And there's great chemistry and camaraderie is a huge team involved in making that show. Not just the folks you see in front of the camera and, and spending time with them was, was awesome. And being able to document some of the more interesting stories in the history of the sport. It wasn't just all big games. We were there for some really powerful moments. Um, you know, being at Virginia tech, the game after the tragic shootings, being on military bases during really difficult, challenging times, being a part of that, and then getting a chance, by the way, to watch a lot of great games ringside. You do the show. We often didn't have the rights to broadcast the game, but you just get to hang out on the sidelines and watch it. Uh, I miss I miss some of those experiences, but but yeah, I mean, I've always wanted to call games, and a pregame show was was this beautiful detour, but actually documenting games and, and getting to. To, to call them is what I want to do since I'm 10 years old. So, you know, no regrets for what I get a chance to do now. Hey, Chris, part of what we do here for Bleacher Report is we host a tailgate tour. Uh, we didn't get to do it this year, obviously, but we like to go around to the different college campuses, host a little tailgate, get to know the fans. Where's like the best spot that you've been, the best little college town uh, that you were either at with game day or what you're doing with ABC? Man, you know, I did some tailgating, believe it or not. Um, <laughs> there were times when I could take off the tie after game day and go put on a T-shirt, baseball hat, sunglasses, and go uh, kind of incognito tailgate. Um, I, I love what they do in Washington. If you, if you tailgate on the boats there in Lake Washington, you kind of jump from boat to boat, and it's the floating tailgate. There's something like that at Tennessee as well. Those, those are unique experiences. You know, the Grove at Ole Miss, if fans get a chance to go, whether or not you're an Ole Miss fan, you get back to normal. That's an experience you have to have. There, there are so many of the great the palaces, Penn State is a, is a tremendous tailgating place. I, I just think you, you, when you have, you know, the social experience and it means so much to people who commit so much to, to be there. And so much of their week is built around one day and the hours before a game and the game and the hours after the game. And, you know, it, it is unique to the sport. I, I think no matter where you go, it's just not quite the same unless it's college football. And you, you guys know you, you've been around and, um, I, I, I can't wait to get back to Austin, and that's a good tailgate scene and one of my favorite places. And so I, I always like when Texas is competitive because it means we're going to play big games. That, that's good for me. Yeah, absolutely. And after Saturday, uh, maybe. I'm not ready to go Sam Ellinger and say we're back, but it, it feels good to at least be winning football games again. Yeah, it's good for Texas fans to see OU lose, blow a big lead. Right? That's, I thought that was a pretty good day for the Burn Orange Nation, right? You come <laughs> oh, yeah. from behind steal a game basically in Lubbock and then watch Oklahoma blow a lead. I mean, if you're in that little narrow world for Texas fans, that's pretty good. It's, it's not bad, but Chris, we know you are busy, man. Thank you so much for your time. Good luck the rest of the season. Uh, we will all definitely be watching you guys. All right, fellas. I appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon. Special thanks to our good friend Chris Fowler, and that is not the last Dos Equis commercial you were here on this podcast today. Again, stay tuned. But guys, it's pick six time, which I guess you could pick up a six-pack of Dos Equis. Probably should have made that the branded segment instead. Oops. But we have to pick some <laughs> games, and we're going to get into it. Number 13, Texas A&M at number two, Alabama. Bama favored by 17 and a half 
points. This isn't the game to get cute. Alabama's not fucking around this year. Like, they're out for blood. Pick the Crimson Tide. They will roll over Texas A&M, who has the most overrated coach in America, Jimbo Fisher. And my thing with Texas A&M is that every year, and I know, like, Texas is guilty. Notre Dame, they get in it, too. Sometimes even Florida. We overrate Texas A&M every fucking year. This team is going to struggle to get to 500 in the SEC. They're going to get their asses whipped on Saturday by Alabama. I'm taking Bama, and I do think they cover as well. A&M has Colin Munn. He's okay. They don't have the talent to compete in the SEC right now, but we do this every year. We see but that A&M logo. Fans are always like, remember when Johnny did it? Kellen Mond's not Johnny Manziel, he's guys. Not. And, and you got Mike Evans. For four years. Like We know who he is. I, I think he can be a good quarterback, but he's not going to compete against Alabama. I think they cover in this game. I think this is uh, the first of very many losses for Texas A&M. Well, I think the problem is A&M always does this thing where they'll play up to a Clemson, they'll play up to an Alabama out of nowhere, but the the bigger sample size is like, oh, no, like the, this is not good. So this is one of those ones that are supposed to trick you. Better is look at it and go, OK, they're number 13 against number two. Why is the spread 17 and a half points over two touchdowns and a field goal? I'm rolling with Alabama and the points. I think Alabama is firing on all cylinders, and I think they win this game probably by at least around 20 points or so. It just feels like Nick Saban's looking around. Everybody's talking about Clemson and Ohio State and like, hey, we're still Alabama. Like we're still shit. Mac Jones looks good. Right? Yeah, absolutely does. Next game, number 18, Oklahoma. Love to see that. Minus seven at Iowa State. I'm going to take Oklahoma to cover. I don't know what happened last week, but here's my thing. Like Matty Campbell, I think he's a good coach. He does not play up to good competition. We've seen it. We saw it week one in their loss. I think Iowa State is in trouble. I think Oklahoma is it's a little bit of a vengeance game this weekend. Uh, after last weekend losing to K-State, I think Oklahoma wins. And I do believe they covered this spread, guys. I'm with you, too. I, I think Oklahoma's coming out looking for blood. The only thing that's going to help Iowa State is that this game is at home. But you still like you don't have fans, so it's not going to be like a ruckus crowd there in Iowa City or Iowa State. So uh, I'm going with Oklahoma as well. I, I think that Lincoln Riley has the guys ready to go. And they just have that sour taste in their mouth. You want to... Prove the point. You want Spencer Rattler to be that Heisman guy? I think they come out and they put the foot on the gas. I think they score a lot of points against Iowa State on Saturday. I can't see Oklahoma coming out flat in this one, right? When you look at it after that loss last week, Iowa State, I mean, Brock Purdy just hasn't just hasn't looked great this month, honestly. It's been a little uh, underwhelming overall. So I, I like. I don't think this is a big spread at all. I think Oklahoma has to, has it in them to at least win by a touchdown. Yeah, number seven Auburn at number four Georgia. Uh, the the biggest matchup of top ten teams. Georgia minus six and a half. Guys, I wasn't super impressed with either team in their opener last <laughs> weekend. I mean, like Georgia pulled away, but it was like shit. Like you guys need JT Daniels to come back. I do believe he is cleared to play this weekend. Guys, I like Georgia to cover. I think Auburn is incredibly overrated. Mellow, something you and I were talking about this morning. Seth Williams went off last weekend. I think he's a talented prospect, but. I just can't get on board with the inconsistency of Bo Nix at the quarterback position. I don't know. Gus Malzahn needs to put back on the sweater vest or something because it just wasn't working for me last week. Yeah, watching him last week against Kentucky, it's like, who is who is that? Is that Malzahn? Why is he wearing a tie? What What is happening here? Uh, I'm with you. I do think that Auburn is another team that's a little bit overrated as well. Bo Nix played good against Kentucky, but this is the Georgia defense. This is going to be a little bit different. 
I love the matchup that we're going to see, though, between these uh, Georgia corners, especially when you have guys like Tyson Campbell out there who is a huge corner. Eric Stokes, another really good corner. Uh, obviously, they have a count at safety. But when you're looking at Auburn, like you said, Matt, they have Seth Williams and Anthony Schwartz, this guy we keep talking about zoom, zoom. on this podcast. That's a really good matchup to watch. Uh, the uh, Auburn receivers against the Georgia corners. I am going with Georgia in this one. And I think that last week that game probably would have gotten out of hand if they had some consistency at quarterback. They tried to roll with their freshman quarterback. It wasn't working. They switched and went to a junior. But now with JT Daniels healthy and in this offense, I think we're going to see it click a little bit better. But it's still going to be that Georgia defense that carries them. I'm going to say Georgia wins, but it's going to be less than the six and a half points. Yeah, you look at this one. Auburn's got to find a way to get the ball in Schwartz's hands a little more, right? We know about that track speed. Uh, he's still working out, you know, the perfection, the craft of being a wide receiver. But there's creative ways to get this guy involved. With that being said, the key matchup for this one in me is is what you just highlighted, Melo. That Georgia defense, I think, is tough enough to give Auburn all kinds of problems. Haven't looked at the under in this game. Whatever it is, I'd probably take it. I think this is going to be a sloppy game. I think this is going to be a game that's grinded out. But I still like Georgia covering that six and a half line. I think they're a much better team than this Auburn team overall. Especially, listen, we talked about it. The home field advantage this year, mm, kind of whatever. But it still matters, and I still think... Even giving them that, you know, what is it, three points, and then you add on that they think they're about three and a half points better than Auburn, I'm I'm riding with that. Yeah, that's a smart one. Let's get some NFL Patriots at Chiefs. Chiefs minus seven. I do worry a little bit about a hangover game here because you have that huge victory on Monday night. Uh, Mahomes is counting to four on the sidelines. No, they weren't touchdowns, idiots. He was counting the NFL 100 list. Man, I think the Chiefs are just too explosive offensively. And the Patriots, you always have to respect what Bill, Bill Belichick does, especially with players like Stephon Gilmore, the McCourty twins. And this it is a good secondary. This will be a challenge. I don't see the speed needed to keep up with what Patrick Mahomes in this offense can do. But can the Chiefs stop the New England run game? Because we are going to see a lot of that this weekend, guys. And Melo, something you and I have talked about a lot. Chiefs, linebacker core, it's really bad. And now a player who I think is one of their best young players, Legereus Sneed at corner, out for this game. Javarius Ward has a broken hand. We saw that come into play on Monday night. Chiefs are banged up at the corner spots. They're linebackers. Eh, sorry, Patrick, I'm not talking trash about your team. I do think the Chiefs win, but I think this is one where uh, I would not take the over. And for me, I think this is a game where the Chiefs come out. This is another one of those Patrick Mahomes games where he's going to come in pissed off and ready to drop 40 on him. It's like an NBA team. You just know what you're getting here. He's the Michael Jordan of football. This is the only team who's beat Patrick Mahomes twice. The only team in the league that he's faced so far. The Patriots have done it twice. I think he evens the score this week. I think the Chiefs win big. The line is seven. I'm not doubting them anymore. I actually think the Chiefs win this one, uh, and it gets out of hand. Yeah, listen, Patriots are one of those teams that notoriously they are great at covering spreads, whether they are favored, which they often are, underdogs here. But I'm not going to overthink this one about the past. And <laughs> I'm sorry, Chiefs, that I even picked against you at one point this year. But listen, and also I have to say, we might have got a little fooled by Justin Herbert being a spot starter, almost essentially, right? It just threw everything out of whack and, and made the, right. It made the Chargers look like a much tougher matchup when you just didn't have time to prepare for that. 
Now, looking at this game, the Chiefs are clicking, right? They're firing on all cylinders. Their weapons are healthy. Everybody's getting involved, whether it's Mecole Hardman, Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, Clyde Edwards-Elair. I mean, this team is very, very deep across the board. Mahomes looks good. Even with the offensive line, I think it's been a little shaky in pass pro this year. Mahomes can do enough while they're starting to get their feet under themselves to evade the rush. And I think I look at New England. I mean, listen, Russell Wilson threw, what, five touchdowns on this team? Yes. I know he's Russ, but he's Pat, Patrick Mahomes. So I'm going with the Chiefs. I think they could score with them. I think the Chiefs cover that seven line, which is, uh, you know, it's dangerous to say, but I think they're going to come out and win this game by about eight to ten points. Mine was reverse psychology because we we doubted the Chiefs, and then they ran it up on the Ravens. So actually, take the spread. I think they cover. Uh, Minnesota at Houston. As of now, this game's happening. No Vikings with positive test. Guys, the Vikings have been terrible this year. They have found new and unique ways to win. Even last week, Justin Jefferson goes off. Dalvin Cook goes off. Kirk Cousins keeps throwing it to the other team. Now, I don't love the Texans' defense, but I do think that their defensive line and linebackers will give the Vikings all kinds of problems. Kirk Cousins is in a rut. He's playing like Kirk Cousins, and until he can get out of this, we've actually seen this before in his career when he was with the Washington football team. It's like he'll go through a stretch of games where it's not just like, oh, he threw a pick. It's like my man is throwing multiple picks. This is just something you have to deal with. With Cousins until he goes to my 49ers and replaces Jimmy Garoppolo. But I am taking the Texans this week. I am too. I think the Texans get their first win. This is an 0-3 matchup. Neither one of these teams have won yet. I think the Texans can get it done. I'm worried about the Minnesota Vikings. I think that Mike Zimmer is real close to losing that locker room. And if you go 0-4, he might. You might be looking at a situation where it's just hard to come back from that. Starting 0-4, you're probably not going to make the playoffs. I like Mike Zimmer, but it's a tough scene up there in Minnesota. And I think that the the Texans win this game. It's, it's at even. There's no spread that I've found. But I'm taking the Texans in this one. I think this is a game where Deshaun Watson's able to make plays against the young Minnesota corners, at least. The safeties are damn good. But I think that they can find some space with those talented receivers against the Minnesota corners. Yeah, I look at this Minnesota team and it just feels like, you know, they're flat right now and every team's been injured. So you can't even go back and say, hey, they're a banged up team. So is everyone else. And when you look at Minnesota, you know, they know how to run block for Dalvin Cook and Dalvin Cook's a player in his own right. That's good. But pass protection is not always great. And if it's not perfect for Cousins, things go wrong really fast. And I look at this Houston offense. Listen, the first, we've talked about it a lot. The schedule's been pretty rough. Watson's been pretty good while the offensive line is starting to slowly get it together right now. I think this is that breakout Houston game we've all been waiting for. So I'm riding with Houston all the way. Yeah, uh, I like the we're all together. We're in sync, boys. Jags at Bengals. Gardner Minshew. Joe Burrow, I'm actually kind of excited for this game because I do like that young Jaguars defense. Josh Allen, Caleb on Chase on, Miles Jack, although he feels like a veteran at this point. And you know I love C.J. Henderson. I still think the Bengals are good enough. This team tied the Philadelphia Eagles last week. And I'm not a big transitive theory guy, Mello, something we've been talking about a lot. But like, I just feel like the Bengals are a better team than a lot of us expect right now or how their record looks. Joe Burrow, one of the toughest young players I have ever seen in the NFL. Hopefully his line does a better job this weekend against those speedy edge rushers. I'm going to take the Bengals, guys, and I think they cover that minus three spread. 
Yeah, I like the Bengals in this one too. And the way they played last week, I do think they're starting to rally around Joe Burrow and kind of uh, support him. After you see him get the shit kicks out of him and him just get right back up, that was almost like a gelling point at LSU. When he got the shit kicked out of him against UFC, everybody was like, oh, you know what? Maybe this guy can actually do it. I think the Bengals get their first win. Uh, it's going to be exciting to see, like you said, Matt, the Bengals offense against the Jaguars defense. They're going to be able to get after Burrow. They've got some young corners, but the Bengals have a lot of good young talent on that offense, too. And when I'm looking at the NFL schedule this weekend, it's not good. There's a reason why we're talking about the Jaguars and Bengals playing each other. A lot of these games, to me, are going to get out of hand. I think this one stays close, but I'm going with the Bengals. What, you don't like Broncos, Jets, Thursday night football? <laughs> Everybody's been waiting for Right Now, I'm, I'm with you here. This is one of those ones where some people might be surprised that the Bengals are favored, even though they are at home. But I think it's about that time we, we get the Joe Burrow game, right? We get it going. I think it was nice to see T. Higgins start to get involved last week. I think that could be a big turning point for the offense because... Uh, let's call it what it is. A.J. Green is not the A.J. Green of old anymore. This offensive line is atrocious for a young quarterback. It's going to be a tough, long year for Burrow. But he's one of the, t like Matt said, he's one of the toughest young players that we've ever seen. They're not going to lose the locker room. Everybody's going to rally around him. Carl Lawson is is having the year that we've been waiting for him since his first year in the NFL. He's starting to get pressure, starting to get sacks again. He looks healthy. I think he could have a really, really big season. And I love the Bengals in this one. I, I think this is one of those games where people go, we're going to pick the Bengals to cover a spread, but I think they're ready to roll. My computer heard Mello singing and decided to cover it too. <laughs> My goodness. Uh, it's just one of those things. You like how I powered through? I do. You know what? So much weird shit happens when we sit down to do this show that I think we're Unfazed. all just conditioned to just go like just go through it i almost i don't know i always have this thing opened i went to pop open a message and boom i don't it's know it's an audio message i'm gonna start <laughs> like, sending you audio right. text during the show oh my god it wouldn't surprise me if someone did that no sharing your personal information just to see if you'll open it or right not. uh no locksmith underdog game of the week not this week. Not feeling confident. Not breaking it up. We did our Bleacher Report picks uh, that we have to do like consensus picks. And somebody was, uh, whoever the guy who organizes it, Brad Gagnon, was like, no one's picking the underdogs this week. Like, no. Nope. Well, that's what no. I'm saying. Like, when you look at the NFL schedule, like Colts, Bears, I, that's not a great game. Cleveland at Dallas. Duh, Dallas. New Orleans at Detroit. Duh. Like, all the good teams play bad teams this week. Like, Ravens and Washington. Pfft, no thanks. Did. I'm taking the I'm going chalk this week. Yeah, have to go. All right, let's take one more break. Then we're going to get you some draft on draft. All right, welcome back. And it is time for a special draft on draft presented by our friends at Dos Equis. Mello, what do we got in the can, buddy? First question from our guy, Garrett Greenlee. The hype around the three quarterbacks in this class is certainly warranted. But if Baker and Kyler were added as draft prospects to the 2021 class, how would you order them? So we have Baker, Kyler, Trevor, Justin Fields, and Trey Lance. What order are you going Do I with? know what I know now? I think it's just as draft prospects. So, so as no. draft prospects, I'm going to be honest, I had Baker as QB4. He was not my number one quarterback that year. Sam Darnold was. Uh, Kyler Murray was my number one quarterback in that class. I was a little skeptical, even though like by the time we wrote his report, we knew where he was going, right? We knew he was going to the Cardinals. So you were able to inform a little bit about that process, but... 
I'm going to be completely honest. Trevor Lawrence and Trey Lance would be ahead of Kyler Murray for me. Then it would be Justin Fields. Then it would be Baker Mayfield. I would have it in the exact same order. Dang I, it. Obviously, I wasn't a Baker Mayfield supporter. Wasn't. Uh, still, <laughs> still am not. But I love Trevor Lawrence. I, I think that he's like a unicorn prospect. The guy can do everything. So I would agree with you. And then I would have Trey Lance. And then, you know, honestly, I might have Justin Fields as number three, though. I really didn't know how Kyler Murray was going to do in the NFL. I thought he was very committed to play baseball, and I didn't know how that would even carry over into the NFL. It's working very well. So I'll, I'll mix it up. I'll go Trevor Lawrence, Trey Lance, Justin Fields, Kyler Murray, Baker Mayfield. I really liked Kyler Murray. I think for me, it's going to be Trevor Lawrence is going to be number one. There's no surprises here. I think right now, and this could change by the time dra- the real draft rolls around, I think I have Kyler number two, then Trey Lance very, very close right there. And then it's tricky, right? I think for me, it would be Justin Fields. I like him a lot. I have him in the top 10 right now. And then Baker Mayfield. So I know it's easy to sit here and say that because, listen, Baker has you know, struggled a little bit early on in his NFL career. There's no denying that. But I think it's more a product of I'm just so high on this quarterback class, those top three. And Kyler Murray was a top five player for me. So uh, I think it's as simple as that. I'd look at it and go, man, by the time we get to this draft, we might be talking about Trevor Lawrence, Trey Lance, and Justin Fields going one, two, three overall. Yeah, I I could definitely see that too. Next question for our our good friend, Nicole Antonio. If the Chiefs had the same 11 players playing offense and defense, so you only get 11 of the Chiefs versus the Jets, would they still beat the Jets? Is Andy Reid still the coach? Because if Andy Reid's still the coach, I'm saying yes. That's the biggest part. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, is Adam Gay still the coach? Like, truly, like you could put, so you would put Tyron Matthew on offense, but that means you get to put Tyreek Hill on defense. Like, I think Tyreek Hill could probably play corner. And that's kind of my thinking, too. Like, okay, I'll take McCole Hardman and Tyreek Hill. Like, those two can play corner, but they can also play receiver. The pass rush, but, like, I Chris Jones, Chris Jones could Jones probably can play guard. Yeah, I Frank was going to say. Frank could the, probably play guard. Yeah, pass the Chiefs Don't, ta- don't confuse tackle. yourself, guys. The Chiefs would win this it's yeah. because <laughs> Pat Mahomes is at quarterback. Where's, where does Patrick play on defense is the question. Do you just like sneak him at safety? I'd put him yeah, in linebacker. Right? Put him in linebacker? Put his crazy ass I don't want him taking the hits. Right? He's like, got that little waddle run he does. I'd love to see him just lay somebody's ass out. Like in the AFC, it was the AFC championship game. He's like, you got to fucking hit me. Well, now it's your turn to hit. So <laughs> yeah. just go ahead and do that. Right. Play him at linebacker. I'll put Clyde Edwards a layer back there at safety with Tyron. Oh, yeah, because you got to keep him on the field. Yeah, he's got to be out there. Man, like, you know, BR does the, like, hey, 11 Lamar Jacksons versus 11 Patrick Mahomeses. We need to do this <laughs> instead. This is be our thing. Hey, once they listen to it, I'm sure they'll do this. Right, absolutely. Next question from TMR Troopers. Do you think any team will pull a Packers next year in the draft and draft a first-round quarterback to replace their aging quarterback? Yes, if they are in an early enough position. Like, the Packers were able to do it because Jordan Love fell in the draft. That's the only reason they were able to. I think where we look at it right now with Trevor Lawrence, he's going first overall. Uh, Trey Lance is going to go very early. Justin Fields is going to go very early. So it would take a little bit of a surprise, but like if you're the Pittsburgh Steelers, man, and you have a chance to get Justin Fields, you have to do it. If you're the Indianapolis Colts, I know you took Jacob Eason in like the fourth or fifth round last year. Guess what? You're taking someone. Doesn't matter. Right. So I think those two teams are the ones that really intrigue me. Don't rule out the New Orleans Saints as a team as well, because Drew Brees, not only is he 41, looks a little shot right now. 
And one thing that we talk about too, it's just basic economics, supply and demand. There are going to be a lot of needy teams at that quarterback position. That's why I think that we're going to see a guy like Kyle Trask. I think he's going to be in the first round when it's all said and done. Absolutely. A team Steelers, I, Saints, Colts. What are this those are three Falcons. good teams. Falcons. Falcons. Because they're playing poorly right now. They could Matt be bad Ryan's enough. Sneaky old. He's 35. Yeah, they could be bad enough. Yeah. Shit, the Lions could. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yep. if you get a chance to take Trevor Lawrence, like, hey, Matt Ryan, uh, sorry, dude. I think that's just, yeah, that's the way it goes. Yeah, getting, clo- getting closer to 40, it's naturally going to happen. Yep. Next question. T. Marsh wants to know, will Mitch Trubisky ever take another meaningful snap in the NFL? I still think he will. It might be like as an injury replacement. Is that meaningful? <laughs> you know, I think Mitch just got broke a little bit. And the inexperience in North Carolina really showed up once he got into the NFL. So I, I liked Trubisky. I'll take the, I'll raise the hand. I was way off on that one. Um, but I, I don't think the situation's been the best for him either. I, and I would agree with that too. And looking at Trubisky, I, this is a guy to me that I think he's going to sit and he's going to be a backup in the league for a while. And then somebody's going to get hurt and he's going to come in and he's going to play pretty well. And then he's probably going to be a starter again in the NFL. I think that's just kind of the trajectory, the path that he's on in the NFL. So, yes, I do think he's going to see more meaningful snaps in the NFL. I think so. It feels like these guys always get a second chance at, you know, redemption. And I think for Mitch, you know, the Bears are good enough, right, where they couldn't mess around. They couldn't see if he can get it going. They gave, you know, Nick Foles has paid a lot of money for a reason. They feel like he can win them a lot of games. But does that mean Trubisky doesn't get another chance? It might not be in Chicago, but listen, how many guys get second chances across the NFL that were picked top five? He'll he'll be out on the field for someone at some point. Which makes it like kind of crazy that Jameis Winston and Marcus Mariota haven't. So I guess you could look at them and be like, yeah, but they got time. They were given all the opportunities. I almost feel like uh, when you look at Mitch or Sam Darnold, it's almost like a Ryan Tannehill of like, gosh, oh yeah, you weren't really in a very good situation. Uh, even though, like, I know Nick Foles, like, oh, they won last week. Uh, Nick Foles still threw a pick. Yeah, yeah almost through two. Like that, he wasn't that much better. Yeah. Or even look at Nick Foles. He's a guy who's had multiple opportunities. Yeah. He'll come in. He'll play very well for a while. He'll go back to the bench. He'll come in. He'll play well. Go to another team. I think that's just kind of. Who he is, and I think that's what Trubisky can do too. Last question, fellas. Our guy Josh Clark wants to know why do people continue to talk about Carson Wentz as an elite, elite upper echelon quarterback when he's never shown a year-long consistency or the ability to stay on the field? So I think it's two things. I think number one is he was an early draft pick, and when you're an early draft pick that doesn't just like completely bust, like when you're a second overall pick and you're kind of good. People aren't going to be like, hey, that guy sucks because, number one, no one wants to be wrong, right? So I think that his draft position is a big part of it. I think secondarily, you can look at Carson Wentz and all the physical tools are there. He's big. He's fast. He has a strong arm. Like, everything's there. And he's likable. So there's not anything where you're like, man, it's just not there. And even now, you know, people be like, well, the offensive line's banged up. He doesn't have any receivers. I, I do think those things are true, but I look at someone like Matthew Stafford. Like Carson Wentz should at least be at that level because they're similar players and he's not. So I do think this is a year where, especially a lot of the people who've been all over Jared Goff about not being good. Jared Goff's a better quarterback than Carson Wentz. I'm sorry. Yes, he is. absolutely. At, just, he's better. It's not an argument. It's not an opinion. He's better I think this is the year where if Carson Wentz continues to throw two interceptions a game and look like he's he looks like he's trying to read French reading defenses. He's just completely deer in the headlights. 
We're going to hear cries for Jalen Hurts very soon from Philadelphia fans. And I think there was a reason why we saw we started to see Jalen Hurts on the field, starting to get him involved in packages. I think you're right, though. It comes down to draft position. I was the second overall pick in the draft. He checks all the boxes for what you want as an athlete and a quarterback. That's why people keep talking about him. And, I mean, he's not that far removed from having that MVP caliber season. So, yeah, that's why people keep uh, their name and I, his name. I will say, mouth. I don't think he's as bad as he looks right now, but I don't think he's as good as people want him to be. Yeah. Well, I yeah, agree. for the longest time, this is somebody who was talked about as an MVP candidate. Now, the excuses are built in where, hey, the offensive line's banged up. They haven't gotten him enough at wide receiver. His rookie wide receiver's banged up. His tight ends are hurt. Everything's falling apart. But when you're looked at as an MVP caliber player that was drafted top five, you're supposed to keep the ship afloat, right? You're supposed to keep everything going. And he quite simply is not. Doug Peterson's a good coach, guys, right? I mean, there's going to be plays on the field. And Carson Wentz is leaving things on the field right now, no matter who is out there. So, that's the problem with it. When everything is right for him in the offense, Carson Wentz has looked really good. But when everything is not right, he's looked quite lost at times. And and he needs to regain his confidence. It's definitely a confidence issue. He's a guy that he held onto the ball very long in college, and he's still doing it in the NFL. And that's that's a problem for a young quarterback. It can lead to turnovers. It can lead to three and outs. It can lead to just quite simply yards left out on the table. So I think for Wentz, like you said, Matt, you said it perfect. He's not as bad as this. He's definitely not. But do we think he's an MVP caliber player? And are we holding on too long? I'm not there yet, but you have to wonder, will he ever get to that ceiling? It's starting to get to scary hours. Let's play a little revisionist history. Imagine if the Eagles, after Nick Foles won the Super Bowl, if they had traded Carson Wentz and kept Nick Foles. Think of the hole at that point in time you would have got for Carson Wentz. And the backlash. Yep. But, like, I, I think Philly fans, though, like, they love Nick Foles still. Like, I guy won him a Super Bowl. So, like, they I mean, still this players team in the might room. be in better shape had they traded Carson Wentz and kept Nick Foles. I, I think they would be, as crazy as that sounds. But we've seen what Nick Foles is able to do. And with the Eagles, I think he could have had, like, the confidence going into that next season of I'm the guy they're building around me. And it probably would have helped him. And with Carson Wentz, like, he was really good that season. Helped him get to the playoffs. But then afterwards, like he's only been in 16, he's only started 16 games once since that season. But you know, to Connor's point, you're right. The backlash would have been crazy. Imagine if Twitter had existed when Bill Belichick kept Drew Bledsoe on the bench. People be like, this is a $100 million quarterback, and you're keeping him on the bench for a sixth rounder. It would have been crazy, but it yeah. worked. But looking back at it, it was like a no duh. Of course they kept But I Tom do Brady. think these teams, like you said, Connor, I think that. Or I think oh, that's yeah. what you meant. Like that's baked in. Like where you got to be like, we're gonna get roasted if we do this. Mm-hmm. So let's just not. Or do it's it. the Bears who want to hold on to that guy and they want to try to make it work. But when it's not, you just you gotta cut them loose. Like congratulations to the Arizona Cardinals. I love that they. You know it sucks for Josh Rosen, but I love that they were able to look at that quarterback and be like, you know what, this is not working. Let's try this thing again. Yeah, and I think you could do that in Arizona, right? It's a matter of places that you can and can't. But it's also a matter of which owners listen to the media and the fan pressure and which don't. And there's kind of a consistent theme of which teams are successful in football because of that and which teams aren't. Yeah, absolutely. All right, that is our show. That is our draft on draft. Thank you again to Dos Equis. Thank you again to Chris Fowler. Double dipping on the brands today. Absolutely love it. For Mello, for Connor, we'll talk to you guys real soon.